Welcome, everyone. Should we just listen to Dylan music for 45 minutes? That wouldn't be a bad way to spend the evening. Uh, it might, it's a lot better to listen to what Aaron and I have to say. I mean, um, Speak for yourself, Mark. Um, I did something on Bob Dylan at the ACU lectures about, I don't know, 15 years ago, I guess. And a room like this, a lot of veteran rock and rollers, you know, came out of the woodwork okay. for that. And then a lot of, there were a lot of college students there who really knew Dylan, which kind of surprised me. And uh, a friend of mine played songs and sang. And during it, one guy was rocking back and forth. His eyes were shut, and he was, he was in a different place. And he came up to me after the uh, session. He handed me a book of lyrics, of Dylan's lyrics. And I couldn't tell if he was saying, I want to congratulate you for doing a good job, or son, you need to read Dylan's <laughs> lyrics more closely before you talk about the great Dylan. I said, well, how did I do? He said, you did great. He said, you get Dylan. He said, um, I think Dylan tapped into what Jung called the collective subconscious. And he said, and um, I feel like I have tapped into that, and I'm pretty sure you have too, which was news to me because I didn't even know what it was. Right? You got that going for you, yeah. which is nice. So he says, um, I got there by dropping acid. I assume you're getting there some other way. <laughs> so if you've got a story like that that you'd like to share, we're open to that tonight. Uh, how many of you have seen Dylan more than once in concert? Anybody? What? How many of you have seen Dylan in concert? Anybody? A few. We may have. Yeah, you may have. remember the 60s, you weren't there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, how many of you are um, early Dylan folk music people? Yeah, yeah. How many of you felt betrayed when he went electric? <laughs> yeah, a few of you, yeah, yeah. Um, anybody uh, like a big fan of the gospel years, the three albums from Slow Train Coming through? Yeah, I'm a huge fan of the music. Um, not so much of the theology on those albums. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But um, I'm a, um, it took me a while to kind of get into Dylan. Um, um, I, I'm not a big folk music guy. I'm more of a three-chord rock and roll kind of guy. And... Um, and then the voice, you know, it's an acquired taste, right? Um, although, my wife hates Dylan, will not listen to it, thinks it's horrible, awful. I told her, though, uh, 
I read a quote from Tony Bennett, who said, Dylan is one of the greatest singers of our age. He was dead serious. And he said, it's not necessarily vocal quality, but not since Sinatra has someone been able to phrase a song like Dylan. That's high praise. Yeah. So, but I didn't see all that. Um, in the early music, but I caught him around uh, modern times and uh, the more recent stuff in the 90s and the early 2000s when he kind of reappeared, he won some Grammys, and his music had changed and his voice had changed and it it sounds like somebody ran barbed wire over his vocal cords for a long time, but it fit the music for me, and that was kind of my road back in Dylan. So uh, we've titled tonight uh, something, uh, the apocalyptic something or other, Bob Bum. Dylan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the important word there is apocalyptic, and Aaron and I are both going to talk about that, but in a little bit different ways. But we kind of want to define apocalyptic a little bit for you. Um, if you have an apocalyptic worldview, then you think the world is unredeemable in its current form. That there's, there's no amount of human effort that can make the world a better place. That the only way the world will improve is if the world as we know it ends and a new world breaks in. And um, obviously we think there's a lot of that in Dylan's music and we've been playing some of those songs as you came in. So that's what we mean by apocalyptic. The Bible, the New Testament, is primarily apocalyptic. Uh, the kingdom of God has come near. All other ways of ordering, ordering the world have been judged. And now through the dramatic coming of the spirit, a new world is possible. Um, that's kind of the apocalyptic move. So, Aaron, you're quite young to know Dylan music. Tell me how you got there. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Uh, I often say that Bob Dylan saved my ministry. I've been uh, working in churches in the Northwest now for 12 years uh, professionally, uh, 10 years at my current church, Westside Church of Christ, and two years before that at a different church. And uh, Bob Dylan really saved my ministry, kind of came to me at a pivotal time. I personally came to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll get there. Right. Um, <laughs> do you have any advice, Richard, for when you're co teaching with Mark and just push through? Yeah, you should push through. <laughs> so it's actually kind of funny uh, because uh, years before kind of my conversion over to Bob Dylan happened, I was living with uh, Mark uh, for a while at ACU, just kind of in between. I can't remember why I was living with you, but there I was. And Mark had just gotten a collection of Bob Dylan CDs that he was really excited about. And I kind of was following Mark around and everything that he did. And so one day when Mark wasn't home, I stole all the CDs and 
you know, put them on my computer because that's the way you had to get CDs back then. And then they just sat there forever, and I never listened to them again. I couldn't get into the music. It just kind of wasn't making sense. You can buy CDs. You don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you're staying with Mark Love, though. Um, so I started it in ministry, and I was absolutely crashing and burning. Like, nothing was working out. Um, I was at a, it was in a very difficult ministry environment um, up in the Northwest, and I was just about ready to quit. I mean, I was minutes away from quitting. We had uh, just had our second child, who was our blue-eyed son, uh, named Miles, and he his lungs were like filled with air that he loved to release at top volume in the middle of the night. <laughs> he was this spirited child, and so we were running on lack of sleep and an ungrateful environment at church, and it kind of reached this pinnacle point. I had been sent a, a letter by a church member who called me Judas, and was wishing me to die as Judas died, and the leadership wasn't doing anything about that. Their words were, he's a big contributor, you need to do something about that. I would preach, and they would, him and his wife would literally open up a newspaper, the Oregonian, right in front of me to kind of publicly protest. So I'm just done, and I'm, you know, frustrated beyond words. So, I'm, I'm, me and Shalane and my wife, we take a respite and go stay a few days with my mother-in-law in Vancouver. And we're at my mother-in-law's house, Bonnie's house. And of course, if you know Bonnie, she's not going to have cable, TV, or internet anything access. Anything after 1850. Anything after 1850, yeah. She's a TV that runs off kerosene. So <laughs> running the kerosene, burning the midnight oil, and holding miles as he's not going to sleep. And just kind of in you know this place of frustration. And Martin Scorsese's documentary came on, No Direction Home, which is a really interesting documentary about Bob Dylan's life. And I was just kind of watching it in the background and I'm just kind of paying attention to it with Miles. And then it gets to the place in Dylan's life in the 1960s when he decides to go electric. And he's uh, going electric and crowds like aren't appreciating it to say the least. He plays the first half of the concerts acoustic then when he switched to, switches to electric, they boo him, they shout at him, they yell at him. And so it's kind of talking about the state of his life, but he doesn't stop doing it no matter what. So there's this one scene in, it's recorded in 1966 when he's playing in uh, Manchester, England. Uh, it's a well-known event that takes place. Somebody yells out on the stage and yells to him and calls him Judas. And when, I mean, he says that, I just look up because I'm like, this oh. like literally just happened to me pretty recently. <laughs> And Dylan screams back at the guy and says, you're a liar, you're wrong, and then turns around and yells some profane words to his band, essentially saying, play really loud, and continues to play like a rolling stone with his back face to the audience the whole time, just jamming away at this song. Okay, there was something about the way that he did that that absolutely captivated me, because there was something prophetic about it, that it wasn't even about him in that moment, it was about the music, and the music had to be played even if he was getting even if he was getting booed. Like he knew what was right and he wasn't gonna stop playing the music. And when I saw that, I just kind of felt this sense of, I don't know, urgency about getting to know Bob Dylan. So <laughs> I opened up my laptop and found all the songs I had stolen from Mark and started really kind of diving deep into Dylan lyrics, especially um, the songs um, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. What was the other one I told you? Uh, Maggie's Farm and It Ain't Me, Babe. 
became really captivating to me. Kind of the courage that was taking place uh, in these songs kind of gave me a second wind in ministry. So there's something about, and I also loved all the interviews he was doing around that time that were fascinating to me because he hated to be interviewed. And if you haven't watched just YouTube, his interviews from his early years, they're hysterical to watch because he won't answer any questions straight out. You know, they ask him a question, and he just says, well, I think I'm more of a song and dance man, you know, I'm not really, <laughs> wouldn't consider myself. He's just kind of always elusive because there's a sense of, he, he's like curious that they're asking him about himself, like he doesn't care. Because for him, it's just all about the music. The music needs to be played. The music is what's right. And so in my ministry, I started kind of doubling down on this. And I thought, you know, it's not about me or how I'm being treated. It's about this message being shared. This is what has to happen. I never did preach with my back to that church. <laughs> but I was so close one Sunday. I just thought, what if I just turned my back to the church? I still kind of wish I would have done it. <laughs> Or if, or if you'd open newspaper. Uh, yes. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Maybe they'll invite you back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I kind of got this courage from it. Um, and the line in the song, It's a Hard Rain That's Gonna Fall, that he ends with, where he says, I'm gonna know my song well before I start singing, gave me this sense of, you know, I'm gonna do this better than I ever have. And I started working double hard on my sermons. I started spending twice the amount of time, and I thought, if I'm kind of going out, I'm going out in the best way I possibly can. So as I've been reflecting on that from a kind of apocalyptic sense, I think about Bob Dylan and his use of I, so I titled the class now, I would have called it the I in apocalyptic, um, especially in the song, The Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, or Where Have You Been, My Blue-Eyed Son, or Where Have You Been, My Darling Young One. I've stumbled on side of 12 misty mountains. I've walked and I've crawled on six crooked highways. I've stepped in the middle of seven for sad forests. He kind of has this eye that's really not him, of course, Bob Dylan, but it's this kind of uh, collective consciousness, I suppose, um, this, um, this kind of identity. I like to think of it as a conduit that's bringing in this, this message that has to be given to the people. So in a sense, I kind of removed myself from the equation in my sermons and in my, in my work in service of this broader thing that I felt like uh, had to be shared. So that was kind of my entrance into Bob Dylan, and ever since then, I've just absorbed his music. I have a huge picture of him up on my wall in my office. It's a lot of strange questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I kind of feel this sense of courage from him that I think is close to an apocalyptic, prophetic uh, kind of courage. So what, um, what about Maggie's farm? I ain't going to work on Maggie's farm no more. Yeah. You're on a hired hand at church. You're yeah. um, being liberated from that. Yeah. yeah. I don't have to be here yeah. uh, with you anymore. I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, was he there? It Ain't Me, Babe yeah. is one that has kind of come to me recently. I was reading a really good book called The Monk's Record Player that just came out, and it's Thomas Burton's experience with Bob Dylan. Thomas Burton's huge Bob Dylan fan and wrote quite a, he wanted to write an entire essay on Bob Dylan um, or even a partial book on Bob Dylan as a prophet, as a poet prophet. Uh, but he reflects a lot on It Ain't Me Babe. He loves that song because it's kind of Dylan's goodbye to the folk world and it's essentially Dylan saying, I'm not who you wanted me to be this whole time. You had all these expectations for me and that's not, that's not who I am. 
Um, and man, anybody who's worked in ministry knows everybody's got a thousand agendas for you. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of find a certain solace in saying, that ain't me, babe. <laughs> you should probably go find someone else. Yeah, that's a fairly common refrain for Dylan. Like in the album, Oh Mercy, it's my favorite Dylan album, I think. Uh, he has a song called, What Was It You Wanted? And he's like talking to his fans. What was it you wanted? I'm not that guy, you know. Um, you came with expectations. I don't feel any burden to meet those, you know. Um, so it, that shows up as kind of a Dylan motif over and over again. And I think you're right. It's uh, He's been more straightforward later in life in interviews but even then you don't know if um, if Dylan's coming at you uh, straight or if he's pranking you you know like the whole Christmas album you know like is does he really think that this will put people in a Christmas mood <laughs> or is he saying you guys will buy anything you know? um, um, yeah, the Christmas album kind of went, it was, it kind of went too far for me. <laughs> but, um, I don't have as kind of a, like Dylan didn't come to me or save my life or, um, I, I, but I have found Dylan compelling. In fact, um, I ha- I've had two blogs in the first one. Um, I wrote a little piece every Sunday called Dylan on Sunday. And I would just comment on a lyric or a song or a mood or a vibe or, um, I'm not big on phrases like um, the gospel according to Dylan. I'm not sure I know what that is or if he would attach the word gospel to anything he's doing. So it seems to me to be a little bit um, um, imperialist on my part to kind of make him say something that he might not be saying. But I do like to think about the world imagined by an artist, whether it's Dylan or Springsteen or Marvin Gaye or whoever. Um, Oftentimes you can tie the body of their work together around a primary imagination about the world. And uh, and, um, most thoughtful artists are going to have theological uh, sometimes specific out there um, references, you know, bands like U2 obviously have very uh, concrete, obvious references to their faith, and, but some are more um, under the surface of the song or the lyrics, they're in a phrase or an allusion or even in protest, like, you know, R.E.M., I think, is a really interesting theological band, but they're 
but their, some, their theological observations are all about the problems they have with faith. They've imagined, though, a world, and I think the key to being a good, um, I, don't, uh, I don't know what the word is, I don't want to use the word consumer, but a good listener to an artist is the ability to enter the world on the artist's terms to the extent that you can. So I'm thinking, what's the world imagined by Dylan? And like, he's been around a really long time, right? Um, you know, he's in his late 70s now. Um, he, um, he won't stand and play guitar now through a whole concert, I think, because it's hard on his hands. He plays keyboard now a lot uh, for the majority of his live performances. He's, he's been around a long time, and there have, been, um, there have been changes in his sound, you know, from folk to electric, but then even he played around with uh, some kind of country stuff in there for a while. And, um, and then uh, in the gospel albums, he brought in uh, Mark Knopfler, of all people, to play with him on uh, gospel albums and brought in uh, African-American uh, gospel singers as background singers for those albums. Uh, really changed the sound of a Dylan album. But then he worked with Daniel Lanois, uh, kind of late in his career, uh, and talks about it in his autobiography, which is a great, it's a volume one, and I'm waiting for volume two. It's been out for 10 or 12 years now. It's a great read, and he talks about kind of discovering a new kind of musical rhythm or, and to me it's like big tires on smooth pavement. Mm. It just rolls, you know, and it's very bass driven and he's had the same bass player now for several, way more than you want to know about Dylan's music, but. That's why they're here, Mark. <laughs> the point is, musically, there's been a lot of diversity over a long career. And now he's doing the torch songs, right? The standards, the old standards, the Sinatra songs. And um, I like them better than the Christmas album, but still, you know, it's a... Uh, Chelan, for my birthday this last year, bought me on vinyl, like the full albums, the three albums of yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. She's like, do you love it? And I was listening to him and I was like, Thank you, <laughs> <laughs> the price tag was like $60, Such a good so it was like try. so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, is there a Dylan world that encompasses all that? Right? And he writes, he's a very kind of idiosyncratic uh, lyricist. He's a great lyricist, but Rhyme is more important than message a lot of times. Um, someone asked him in an interview if he thought he could write a song about the presidency of George W. Bush. 
He said, sure, not a lot of words that rhyme with bush. <laughs> so, um, so sometimes lyrically, he's kind of all over the place and he's gone for what sounds right rather than kind of a consistent message throughout song. Still, over time, the one thing that appears, I think, consistently from beginning to end is this notion of apocalyptic. And it's certainly, uh, so if that's true, in their biblical allusions in Dylan's work from the very beginning up until now, the, his original songs, he is always alluding to scripture and using biblical references in his music. Um, he knows scripture very well, particularly the Old Testament, right? He grew up in a Jewish home. Um, he, uh, these are the words and the cadences and the poetry that kicked around and formed his um, musical imagination. So they're showing up everywhere. And the question is, how's he using it? Is he using it the way he thinks the Bible is? Or is it just a line that he liked that he's incorporated? And you never quite know. But from beginning to end, in Dylan's career, there are apocalyptic images. So hard rain's gonna fall. You know, be careful you people gather around. No, that's... Uh, Times are changing. So come gather around people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone. If your time to you is worth saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are changing. In the song Masters of War, which um, is a haunting, haunting song. Dylan sings against the military-industrial complex and imagines a world where they will be brought low and uh, the possibility of a new world might emerge. So it's in the early music. So if you were listening, and Dylan himself says this, uh, when people say, where did this uh, Christian thing come from for you? And he said at one point, if you were listening, these things have been in my music from the very beginning. And he's right. And if you were listening, you wouldn't be surprised to find out that in the late 70s, he was converted to a brand of Christianity that was fairly fundamentalist, very much dispensational in their theology, very much part of the kind of Hal Lindsey, late great planet Earth kind of stuff, speculating about the end times. I mean, Dylan was huge in that. He was converted to a vineyard, the vineyard congregation, the original congregation here in LA and went to uh, Bible studies every week. Um, and um, 
it's a really remarkable story. There's a new book out about the Christian years of Dylan's life that kind of talked through uh, kind of what he went through during that time. But I'm saying this is precisely the kind of Christianity that would have appealed to Dylan if you'd been listening over time. I've got to uh, see if we can. The sound's not great on it, but I've got a YouTube thing. Does he live in Malibu? He does. We tried to find we him. We tried. Today. We knocked on every door in Malibu. Malibu. We knocked on a lot of houses, but <laughs> I don't know if he's ever been. Is that where it was? Have you been? Oh, all right. Anyway, I read the Bible a lot, you know. I mean, it just what it just happens I do. And uh, so it says certain things in the Bible that I wasn't really aware of until just just recently. You know, at universities, there, you know, it's like they have a higher learning people there. They teach them different, like philosophies. And so people, they, they study all these different philosophies. You know, Plato and, and uh, uh, who else? <laughs> who? Jimmy Reed. <laughs> well, I can't remember all the names different. Nietzsche and those people like that. Anyways. In the Bible, it has specific, uh, it, it tells you specific things in the book of Daniel and in the book, in the book of Revelation, which just might apply to these times here. And uh, it says there's certain wars that are, that are soon about to happen. I can't say exactly when, you know, but say pretty soon anyway. And uh, so, at that time, it's, it mentions a country to the furthermost north, and it has its symbol of the bear. Now that, and also, it also is spelled R-O-S-H in the Bible. Now this was written quite a few years ago. So it, it can't really but apply to one country that I know. I mean, if you know another country can apply to, uh, maybe you do, I don't know. But, uh, then there's another country called, uh, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's in the eastern part of the world. And it's got an army of 200 million foot soldiers. Uh, there's only one country that, that that could actually be. So anyway, I was telling the story to these people. I, I, was, I shouldn't have been telling it too much. I just got carried away. And, uh, I mentioned to him, well, you're not watched now because Russia is going to come down and attack the Middle East. It says this in the Bible. And I've been reading all kinds of books my whole life, like magazines, books, or whatever I could get my hand on anywhere. And I've read there and never found any truth in any of them, if you want to know the truth. But these things in the Bible, they seem to uplift me and tell me the truth. So, so I, I said this country is going to uh, come down and attack and all these people, there must have been 50,000 
If there was one, if there, no, I don't know. If there wasn't 50,000, there was, I, I don't know, maybe 3,000. They all just booed. You know what they usually do? <laughs> they don't like them, just booed it. And there was a whole auditory people just, I said, Russia's going to attack the Middle East, and they went, boo. They couldn't hear that. They, 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 they didn't believe it. And a, a, month, a month later, Russia uh, moved, moved their troops into, uh, I think, Afghanistan it was. And uh, the whole situation changed, you know. And I'm not saying this to tell you that I, you know, that they were wrong and I was right or anything like that, but uh, these things that it mentions in the Bible, I, I pay my both attention to. So it does say that so this is the brand of Christianity that um, Dylan bought into a very apocalyptic kind of uh, Christianity and premillennial obviously and um, uh, and think about what's going on here right uh, we're moving into the Reagan presidency it's kind of the height of the Cold War. People are, um, you know, speculating about a big confrontation between the Soviet Union and the U.S. It's it's not hard to see how someone, um, you know, being brought into that world with those kind of dispositions already in place wouldn't see a lot of interest or um, a compelling imagery in this kind of thing. Uh, my own theory about Dylan's faith is that it's not gone, but it changed. And it changed primarily because that kind of narrative is really hard to sustain for a long period of time because then the Soviet Union falls and suddenly you have to reread Revelation and Daniel, right? And so it's a hard kind of faith to uh, kind of sustain. But his 1980 album, Oh Mercy, is kind of a move away from the three Christian albums, starting with Slow Train Coming. And I don't know if you've ever listened to Slow Train Coming. It's a brilliant album musically I love it and uh, you know you got to serve somebody it's on that album he won a, a Grammy for that song it's beautifully produced it's just it rocks it's a great album I've recently refurbished my turntable and reinvested in buying vinyl and that was one of the first albums that I bought and I've just loved listening to those albums. Theology's really bad, but the music's really good. So, um, but Oh Mercy is kind of a move out of that world and I think a transition album into his later stuff like Modern Times and albums like that. I know you're kind of getting glazy. Uh, are, are we gonna talk about Blowing in the Wind? When's that gonna come up, right? Um, but there are several songs on Oh Mercy 
that have explicit Christian themes and again are very apocalyptic. One is the song, The Man in the Long Black Coat, or Ring Them Bells. Um, we're ringing bells to warn of uh, the loss of a world and the discovery of a new one. Um, the song, Everything is Broken, is kind of the ultimate, that there's no way to fix the world. And it's a great song. Have you heard that song? You want to hear a little bit of it? Yeah, you do, right? Yeah. yeah. Why not? And this is kind of... destruction of Judah and the prophet Jeremiah is talking I'm, am I saying that right? Yeah, so uh, I'm really tired and old and um, <laughs> everything's broken everything's broken and, the, and Jeremiah is critiquing the cult of the king the kind of the the royal mentality, the royal ideology, by talking about the great excesses 
of um, the court while everything around it's going to hell, right? So Dylan has two songs, one early, one late, that both have the word summer in title, and both are allusions to this section in the book of Jeremiah. One of them I think is on Modern Times, one of the 90s albums, and uh, the images that Dylan adds to, like Jeremiah talks about, um, you know, that the hogs are fat, and that shows up in Dylan's, in the lyrics in Dylan's song. But then he contemporizes uh, the song by saying, I've got eight carburetors, all of them are roaring. Uh, and so kind of one image of excess and opulence on top of another. And it's in Jeremiah's language, this is the end of the world. When those who are wealthy and those who are in power are living in luxury while everyone around them is in need and in want. So that shows up again late in Dylan's music. My favorite Dylan song of all time is from the movie uh, The Wonder Boys and it's called um, Everything's Changed. Um, so it's all, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not up there today. Um, things have changed. And uh, it's a great lyric. People are crazy and times are strange. Um, I'm locked in tight. I'm out of range. I used to care, but things have changed. And one of the lines in that song is... If the Bible is right, the world's going to explode. I'm trying to get as far away from myself as I can, which is a great lyric. I love that lyric. So again, Dylan's world, you know, the levee's always about to break in a Dylan song. You know, and a catastrophe's just around the corner. And there's nothing that we can do to stave it off. The only thing that will make things better is a brand new world that breaks into our reality. And it's in the early songs, it's in the late songs, it's surely uh, part of the so-called gospel albums of the early 80s. So um, in that way, I have found Bob Dylan a really lively conversation partner as uh, a theologian who's trying to think about how people engage the world or view the world. And Dylan has certainly been a huge cultural icon that's shaped perceptions of the world for many people for many years. So, anything else you want? No, I'm good. Thanks, Mark. Anything you want, you want to say? How has this been hearing all this week? A minute or two. Yeah. Rick Nelson, Garden Party, is, does that relate to Dylan's approach at all? In other words, you know, Rick Nelson's the lyrics in Garden Party, you know, he's, he's kind of had it with a lot of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know Rick Nelson. I mean, I know he's, 
I know who he is, but okay, sorry. I don't know his music. People wanted to hear the old songs. They didn't want to hear Rick Nelson's new songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah he changed and people couldn't deal with it. Yeah. Half the place garden parties, I'd rather drive a truck, which yeah. sounds like Elvis reference. Yeah. That doesn't relate to churches at all, though. Right. Yeah. Does he have any kids or anything? Yeah, his Bob son, oh, Jacob, Jacob Dylan. Jacob Dylan is, is almost just as good. In my mind. Yeah, it's a lyricist. He had a band called the Wallflowers. Um, um, in fact, uh, I went for, um, like in the, I'm trying to think, the early to mid-90s, I stopped listening to music, um, which is really, really weird to me that I stopped listening and I think I was depressed and um, I went to a church camp out and they had those little Sony Discmans and someone had the Wallflowers CD and um, having the earbuds in and listening to one headlight kind of awakened me again to music and I started buying it again and finding See, new Dylan groups. did come to you, it was just the other Dylan. <laughs> the other Dylan, the other Dylan. So he's got, a, he's got a couple of great solo albums that um, T-Bone Burnett produced and um, uh, what's her name, the new pornographers, lead singer. Anyway, great band on the great. It, so yeah, he's he's got several kids that we know of. <laughs> likely even more. Uh, he he was married for a long time. No one knew about it. He married one of his uh, backup singers during the gospel period, and no one knew about it for a long time. So. Uh, um, it's a very, he's, uh, just biographically, he's a very interesting guy, too. I mean, how Robert Zimmerman became Bob Dylan, and um, then how that persona became him. At first, he was trying to become the persona. Anyway, it's, uh, I think it's a fascinating kind of career and story to think about, and the traveling Wilburys was yeah. an interesting period. Yeah, and that really brought him back. You know, um, he went through a lull there after the. Um, that was before the Christian albums. Do you know? I've been told that Roy Orbison was a member of the church. I have not heard that. Across that. Uh, I know he Weird Al He was a very godly man. I know huh. that. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah that, that kind of... Uh, Dylan had lost any kind of musical fire for a while. Mm -hmm. And the albums right before Traveling Wilburys were bombs. They were... Uh, and he talks about he thought he might be finished mm -hmm. as an artist. Uh, but then the uh, traveling Wilburys kind of 
created a little energy again for him. And yeah, when you're making music with George Harrison and Jeff Lynne or Roy Orbison, that's, that's a pretty good band. Yeah. Well, thanks for hanging with us. What, what, how many people cover his song? I mean, oh, uh, I mean, is it? Did you look at that? I cover them. No, but I mean, Peter, Paul, and Mary did some of it. You know, that's how I got to know him. You know, Peter, yeah, Paul, and Mary's yeah. version, like "Blowing in the Wind." Which did you talk about that? No. <laughs> um, my favorite cover um, is um, "Show You My Love." who uh, Garth Brooks has covered it, but Adele's the one that everyone knows. And no one has any idea that Dylan wrote and performed, recorded that song. Um, so yeah, everybody covers Dylan. I think my favorite Dylan cover song is Jason Mraz's Heart Rain's Gonna Fall. Really? It's haunting. You don't like that one? No, I like Eddie Vedder's Masters of War. That's a good one too, yeah. That would be... So talk amongst yourself, we're done. Thanks for coming. <laughs>